No cancer is good, but some are worse than others. I got one of those. When people ask, as they do, and I tell them which cancer, they say something like, oh no, just to remind me I'm screwed. Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Bad Cancer Diaries podcast. In this episode, I read another essay from the blog, badcancer.substack.com. This one is a little lighter, nice change of pace, uh, shouldn't be too depressing. It's very tongue-in-cheek, as you will see. And it's called, I May Just Be an Asshole. I'm okay with that, for now. I may just be an asshole, and I'm kind of okay with that, for now. Today it occurred to me that I might be an asshole. It could be a result of having cancer, and upon reflection, I find that I'm not bothered by the possibility. I did notice myself trying to come up with some sort of a narrative justifying what I did, what I said, in which it was all perfectly reasonable and made sense. But it was just too much work, and I wasn't going to fool anyone, least of all myself. So I gave it up. I may just be an asshole, at least today. Maybe I always have been. Only I was so invested in what others thought of me and my perception of myself as a good person that I convinced myself I was. Good, that is. Only now, I don't care as much. So what if I'm acting like an inconsiderate crazy person? I have cancer. Bite me. I briefly considered how I might rectify things, maybe by apologizing. But then I realized I'd only likely confuse people who maybe hadn't noticed, or already forgotten, didn't care in the first place, or had given me a pass, because I do have cancer. Best to let it go. Basically, I had a scheduling conflict that I was vaguely aware of, but failed to do anything about, or at least not in any grown-up way. Today was the first meeting of the Live Strong Fitness class at the YMCA. It's a free program for people with cancer, and I've been looking forward to it. I also had a chemo infusion session in the morning. Livestrong meets at 1 p.m. on Tuesdays and Fridays, starting that day. The infusions are every other Tuesday, but not always at the same time, and are preceded by an office visit with the oncologist. The infusions take a long time. I probably should have noticed just how long by now, as this was my third one, but I just knew it was a few hours. This morning, I saw in my schedule that I wasn't due to see the oncologist until 11, with chemo at 11.20. There was no way I'd get out of there before one. I went in at 10, an hour early. I didn't say anything, and neither did Erin, the receptionist, when she checked me in. In hindsight, I guess it's not that weird to be so early, though it's weird for me, but she didn't know that. I found something peculiar about this woman, by the way. For one thing, she's way too cheerful, like she's playing a Disney character, maybe Snow White. She's young, 20-something, fashionably thin, wearing a skirt with high boots and shoulder-length black straight hair cut in bangs. Don't get the wrong idea, though. While she might well resemble a dominatrix with some leather and a whip, and she is pretty, I wouldn't say she gives a sexy vibe. Or, well, I'm gay, so I could be missing it, but it's not overt. She's very professional. Only she uses words like golly and gosh, which make her sound like a precocious 12-year-old to me. She's actually quite good at her job, as far as I can tell, and seemingly unflappable, which only makes me want to flap her, because I'm an asshole. 
So I'm an hour early and probably still too late to make the one o'clock class. I sit down, wondering what the fuck exactly I'm doing and what my plan is, when Erin asks me if she can get me anything since it's going to be such a long wait. At this point, I say, oh, I should probably just cancel my appointment because I have somewhere else I have to be and I'm going to run out of time, complaining that the scheduler never asked me what time would work for me. I'm not sure this is entirely true. All my treatments after the first one had been scheduled at once and given to me, rather than making appointments with me one at a time. So it is accurate that I wasn't directly involved in making all the appointments, but I did agree to the schedule. I vaguely recall complaining the same thing before about having the appointments too early, since I work at a bar and often didn't get home until late. This was true, only since then the other bartender was fired for using the kitchen as their personal supermarket, so the days I work are all different and I no longer work the night before treatments. Also, I signed up for that Livestrong class, so my scheduling needs are completely different now. I just hadn't bothered to do anything about it to resolve the conflict. I just showed up an hour early, without a plan. Aaron had effusively given me the number of the clinic scheduler, and also a business card for the office manager, who I could call if I weren't able to resolve my problem, as if it weren't self-inflicted. She went to cancel my appointment with Lori, who is not my doctor. I sat down and tried calling the scheduler whose voicemail greeting said she was out of the office and wouldn't be back until blah, blah, blah. I thought, of course you are. And then I decided I should wait and at least see the doctor since I was already there, even if I did have to reschedule the chemo. I went back to the desk and announced my decision. Aaron went to make sure they could still get me in as if the appointment might have been taken by someone else in the last three minutes. I suppose I was basically bluffing, gambling that they'd find a way to see me sooner so I could still get the chemo and make it to my class. Counting on the fact that cancer is serious business and no one would want to have to explain to my oncologist why I'd failed to get treatment when I came in, even though it was my own fault. Even if the gamut didn't work, I might still get the chemo and even if I had to miss the class, I would play it by ear. The rational part of my mind was aware that skipping treatment was not in my best interest and that rescheduling would only further screw up my schedule. It sort of worked. A few minutes later, somewhat to my surprise, I was called back. As it turned out, my doctor was away and Lori was his assistant. This was the first time I met her. She was no-nonsense with short gray curly hair and a stern demeanor. And here we come to the other issue that I'd been mulling over for at least a week without taking any action. One of the chemo drugs, called oxaliplatin, affects the nerves, manifesting as cold sensitivity. It can be pretty extreme, as in having to wear mittens to get things out of the refrigerator. Keep in mind that I'm a bartender. Touching cold things is at least half of my job. I need to work to pay my rent so I don't get evicted and hopefully have a place to live after surgery so it matters. After my first treatment, I didn't notice the side effect at all, though I was told it happens to basically everyone. Maybe I got lucky. After the last infusion, though, the second one, I stopped at the grocery store on my way home, and it happened. I was holding a pint of ice cream when my fingers started to burn. There were even red marks, so it seems like it's not really just a nerve issue. This is also a problem with eating and drinking. 
Swallowing something cold can cause your throat to spasm closed, but just temporarily. So you probably won't actually choke to death. It just feels like it for a while. I decided that I don't like this drug. It's sort of a gut feeling, as well as practical. The other two I tolerate pretty well, but this one was beginning to freak me out. I also have a history of not always doing what doctors tell me. And on at least one occasion, this has kept me alive. I'd done some reading and found a study that tried to determine the lowest effective dose for patients who didn't tolerate oxaliplatin well. It seemed like around 65 to 70% still worked as well as the full dose, as near as they could tell. Nothing is unambiguous with these drug studies. And also they'd found that adding IV magnesium and calcium seems to help minimize the side effects, which has something to do with the electrical potential in nerve cells. This makes some kind of intuitive sense, as it does feel a lot like electric shock when you touch something cold. So I had this proposal more or less worked out for my oncologist, Dr. B, only he was out, so I had to run it by Lisa, the PA. She didn't approve. She explained they were trying to cure me because I was probably early stage, and this might actually be possible. So it was important to give me the best chance. Hence, she was willing to go down to 90%, but no more. I think maybe she calculated how much leeway she had on her own without consulting the doctor. I don't think she even directly responded to the magnesium and calcium idea, and I let that go. To me, this was not a real compromise. I highly doubted that 10% was going to make any perceptible difference, and I said as much. In the end, I got the message, take it or leave it. Ultimately, it turned out, I left it. I went into the infusion center. I had a different chemo nurse this time. I liked this one a lot. I was a bit anxious, and time seemed to go by very slowly. They always put a ton of fluid through the IV, so inevitably I have to pee more than once pulling the pole along with me on its wheels. It's annoying, and I always imagine I'm going to somehow knock the thing over, ripping out the IV, spilling toxic chemo and blood all over, making a huge mess, and everyone will run over to see what happened, scolding me for being an idiot. This time, the oxaliplatin was the last IV bag out of six or seven, and took the longest to run, nearly two hours. While I was disconnected before she started it, I asked the nurse if it would be okay if I took the opportunity to run to the toilet. She said sure. By the time I got back, it was after 1 p.m., and I just wanted to get out of there. Fuck the oxaliplatin. I said, that's okay. I'm good, pointing at the last bag of chemo hanging from the pole. She was nonplussed for a second, eyebrows going up when she realized what I meant, and then said, well, I'm not going to make you, to which I replied, No, you can't, and I think we shared a little chuckle over that blunt exchange. It could have been awkward, but wasn't. I apologize for being difficult, admitting that I don't always do what I'm told. She said I was fine. As I was leaving, I started to wonder if something might be wrong with me. Perhaps I have a personality disorder. I think there's one called oppositional defiant. That sounds about right, but I think it mainly applies to children. Or maybe I'm just an asshole. At least I got the chemo, mostly, and still made the Livestrong class. I just got there late. This has been Episode 5 of the Bad Cancer Diaries podcast. Thanks for listening. I think I know who is going to be my first guest for the podcast, and I'm very excited about that.
think it's going to be really good. So stay tuned. Something to look forward to.